Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Innovate Finance, our podcast series where we speak to industry leaders on financial innovation and fintech. Our podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. I'm Veronica Glab, Head of Engagement at Innovate Finance, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Tony Petroff, Chief Legal Officer at SumSub. Tony, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Likewise. So, Tony, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up as CLO of SumSub. Um, my professional background is mostly related to public international law and human rights originally. And that's what I uh, practiced for, let's say, 10, 15 years. And then I joined uh, uh, the startup at relatively um, early stage when they were just starting. And it was because I, st- I started to realize that um, this, let's say, rec tech um, wave of uh, innovation was something very very promising and uh, I should be part of it and actually I was absolutely right and uh, I see many many of my colleagues actually who were also doing for example human rights or uh, or public international law or other uh, related areas um, investment law for example something like that and they actually started uh, migrating into um, something related to innovations um, personal data protection <laughs> and um, regulations related to rec tech technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So I was kind of like one of the first penguins in my in my tribe. Uh, other, others actually started also going in the same direction. All right. Well, you're really setting the scene for us to geek out a little bit today about the reg tech space. Can you, <laughs> yeah. um, can you tell us a little more about some sub how did the company come about and what is your vision and mission? Yeah, SumSub was founded by uh, brothers um, from Israel, uh, my friends. They started actually doing mostly anti-fraud technologies and um, mostly related to tempering of images, like things like Photoshop, et cetera, et cetera, how to detect uh, traces of, of such tempering. Um, so that's that's where they started, and um, and they, then um, at a certain moment they started thinking about KYC and how to do KYC with these technologies, and um, and and they just you know kind of like created were the some of those who actually created this industry for a couple of years in let's say two thousand. 17 2018 when the main focus of kyc uh, technologies at that time was exactly anti photoshop how to detect uh, how to detect tampering of documents uh, on large scales of of um, incoming profiles uh, when for example you have a an ico or you have a a very early stage crypto exchange or something like that you have huge amount of customers every day and some of them are fraudsters and you need to 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 find them uh, so that's how we started and then we just started going with the market and with the regulations and we saw how the regulations you know were changing and we started uh, adding additional products such as for example proof of uh, address um, and verification of legal entities and then um, quite recently we started doing the uh, financial monitoring and uh, and transaction monitoring so the whole idea is when you read the uh, the anti money laundering law 
you have a, kind of like a bunch of procedures there that um, that the financial entity should 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 carry out. And so we just went by this law and started just you know adding more and more services that would help our clients uh, implement this law. So that was very easy uh, to a certain extent an idea. Uh, and um, currently, I would say we cover all of the procedures that are featured in uh, in most anti-money laundering regulations. Who are your customers? Some sub. Um, usually they are um, electronic uh, financial institutions. So those, it can be both fiat and crypto. So those who um, are not traditional banks usually. Uh, some of our some of some of the traditional banks actually also use our technologies, but in a, let's say other uh, segment, for example, exactly some some of the technologies related to 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 um, uh, uh, anti fraud, etc. So it's something that they are not very very good at. Um, but our typical clients are um, are the emergent emergent financial financial companies that are trying to replace the banks and and be the next generation of financial services. Well, speaking of the banks, why don't we dive a little bit into the current state of fintech? How, yeah. in your opinion, have the recent bailouts of banks affected the landscape of the fintech industry? In several ways. I mean, uh, in terms of the financial side, I think uh, the, the impact was not very serious. Because uh, the market, it's it's just you know it's just like throwing a, a stone into into the sea, like it will not really damage the sea. Um, but um, um, uh, I think uh, there are several things. First of all, um, the re reputation of those banks that were dealing with crypto that had nothing to do with this crash. Absolutely, like these banks crashed not because of crypto, but uh, the, the reputation of the banks that were friendly to crypto uh, can be diminished right now um, and can be endangered. And this is bad for um, for the crypto world because, uh, I mean, it, it is, it's very important for both sides to have uh, good bridges of communication, and those banks were one of the one of the, these bridges. So this means that crypto companies will need to find some other ways how to access fiat money, especially in such markets as the U.S. market. Uh, but on the other hand, I see that um, some of the large uh, traditional banks, like, you know, those from the Wall Street, such as, for example, uh, uh, JP Morgan, they are uh, showing some interest in crypto area and it seems that they will just replace them by themselves, uh, these, these uh, empty spots. And so we will see just uh, new players in the market that will, will play this role uh, eventually, if, if, uh, if again, this this spaces become empty at certain moment. So um, otherwise I can just tell that um, uh, as just as FTX crash and and this uh, this this uh, bailouts, they just show an extremely problematic um, area of risk management in large banks and large financial institutions that uh, we see that they are not able to sometimes to reallocate uh, assets in the right direction. And that's why that's why they crash. Basically, the same happened with FTX. Really, I mean, they they stole some money, but uh, the, the the other side of the problem was that they uh, had problems generally with risk management and risk allocation um, when they invest in certain assets 
and they they should basically count the 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 risk uh, the risk level of different different assets that they invest in and they 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 obviously uh, did not do a great job there and so this is of course uh, something that um, is really buzzling because we start thinking that even in large banks there are problems with risk management um, let alone some other less important elements of this huge global financial system. And diving into specific areas of regulation, what value would you say that the travel rule requirement brings and why would that be needed? Travel rule is basically swift for for crypto. Uh, We can call it this way. So the idea is to uh, to track the information about the user uh, from one um, part of the transaction into another so that it would be like an, an, an endless chain of um, uh, information, um, ex- like the exchange of information. So um, uh, it's it's extremely important. We are right now working on, on a protocol for, for travel rule. Uh, um, so uh, I just don't see how otherwise you can effectively control um, like uh, the exchange of crypto, uh, we see that right now crypto is is widely used for for money laundering uh, in in particular. Um, but still, the problem with travel and limits of travel rule will be uh, unhosted wallets. So those wallets that will not be with certain uh, tr- like the exchanges, for example, they will be still uh, anonymous. And this parts of, of trans like this this type of transactions when you have huge um, transa- huge amounts of transactions uh, let's say on Ethereum without any involvement of any exchange will still be anonymous and still be not covered by uh, by travel rule. This is a problem, and uh, the solution to this problem at the moment is not really found. And what about the monitoring of transactions in the AML or CTF systems for the fintech industry? Can you? Tell us a little bit about what those acronyms mean and how monitoring those transactions will change in the future. Yeah, um, there is an idea of suspicious transaction, uh, what is called suspicious transaction. The idea of suspicious transaction is basically that the uh, aim of this transaction is not uh, that uh, is, is not is not as declared. Uh, so, it, like the, the the it's declared that it's like a transaction from once one person to another person, but really it's a, a transaction in order to launder some money. And there are many, many, many types types of, of suspicious transactions. Um, they are all typified, and you can find uh, uh, many materials about that. The whole idea of transaction monitoring solutions is to uh, transpose this into, uh, let's say, the work of a robot so that it will not be someone uh, sitting at the table and looking at the student transaction, but uh, like a robot that will just analyze this in accordance with the rules that you have put inside uh, from the outset. And so that's uh, that's how we also we also have a transaction monitoring solution on our side, um, and many 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 others exist. Of, of course, this is not a big problem right now. They are also um, let's say equipped with uh, AI with uh, uh, artificial intelligence to make it more efficient. Um, right now, it's an uh, absolutely uh, indispensable part of uh, anti money laundering procedures, and uh, any financial institution has them. Um, and 
the only thing is just how to enrich the uh, the algorithms of transaction monitoring with more and more triggers, um, and that's that's the tricky part. So how to do it? Um, uh, you know, we for example we try to make uh, our system an ecosystem where let's say the triggers that we let's say catch on the side of the uh, client onboarding will also work uh, at the uh, at the side at the side of transaction monitoring so that. Uh, if someone has some, let's say, address at this specific location, and this address is not the same address as the person, let's say, uses for some specific transaction, uh, this can be a, a risk trigger, just as an example. So you actually touched on something really interesting with AI. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's no secret that AI is taking a larger role in the crypto and DeFi space. But what about the legal restrictions on the use of AI that are being promoted on the government level and also just widely being discussed? What's your take on that? Oh, yeah, that's a very interesting point. Uh, we see right now many uh, legislative um, uh, initiatives in this regard, both in, in the EU uh, Artificial Intelligence Act, uh, which is not yet enforced, but will be enforced very soon. And uh, in the US, we have uh, some initiatives by the White uh, House. And um, I think some of the states already uh, passed certain laws and uh, there are certain precedents already uh, in the courts. Um, so the whole idea is to make this, uh, let's say, a fair, this, there would be like kind of like a fair use of, of uh, artificial intelligence so that uh, we would not, let's say, uh, wake up a certain moment in the uh, digital gulag or something like that when uh, we see we see like everything is, is uh, operated by, by uh, artificial intelligence and uh, you cannot really overrule the decisions taken by this artificial intelligence because it doesn't take any any uh, you know appeals or anything like that so that's the whole idea to to um, to avoid the Chinese path uh, in artificial intelligence uh, to to ban the, the use of artificial intelligence in some let's say what is called unethical ways for example let's say um, face recognition in public places for example Practical side now, moving to the practical side, I think it will be working just as uh, GDPR is now working. So this means that you will need, you will need some, most of the companies that use artificial intelligence, they will need to appoint the whole vertical of, uh, of um, let's say, officers that would um, monitor ethical use of artificial intelligence uh, and and create procedures and uh, and policies for for the ethical use of artificial intelligence in the in the corporations and to a certain extent let's say put a leash on the on the development uh, side on the on the side of the developers so that, that that they would not go too far in their creativity in terms of artificial intelligence fair enough so no digital gulags here yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Well, if you had a crystal ball, what prediction would you make for the next, say, three to five years for the identity verification, anti-fraud and compliance space and how that's going to shake up the fintech industry? Um, so right now, there are two main trends in, in, in identity verification. One is uh, more and more uh, big data sources 
-hmm. in specific countries. Um, this means that some, some large countries, they just provide access to uh, their own, let's say, governmental data for identity verification solutions. Um, so this means that uh, instead of just uh, collecting a passport from the person, you just access access the the data source and uh, and you ask the person just to provide specific uh, element of the data so that you can verify. Um, that's one thing. And another thing is self-sovereign solutions. Uh, mm -hmm. when the person would control their own uh, identity and provide credentials by his or her own instead of, um, let's say, having a big brother uh, watching you. Um, that's a very good idea, but the problem is with regulations because in regulations still we have know your customer. This means that you, you have to provide information to a financial institution more than you would like to provide. So uh, that, that's why self-sovereign solutions, they could probably work only in case of alcohol shops or uh, access to, to, to bars or something like that, but not to financial institutions. Um, what I wanted also to say is... Um, I think that maybe in five to 10 years, we will be, uh, if, if the world will, will be very quick, we will get into the world without passports. Really? Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, I, I start thinking about this quite, quite recently. I think that passports, it seems that uh, with all these new innovations, uh, we will come into the situation when uh, this specific paper-based passport will be not really very much used. Uh, we see right now some of the borders already use biometrics instead of uh, instead of using the like a real, real passport. So it can be very easy right now, even with this state of technologies, to uh, you know to identify the person based just on his face. And this means that the need of the paper-based pa passport is not very much so important. So I think that we are on the threshold of this new world where there will be no passports. But I don't think that the, uh, let's say, the scopes of uh, rights uh, and uh, privileges that people with different passports have uh, will somehow change. <laughs> That's actually really interesting. I mean, I have to say, I'm not sure how I feel about paperless passports. I get scared enough walking into an Amazon Fresh shop. But there's something to be said for being able to walk through a gate as, as a frequent traveler. Now, I do want to come back to you a little bit and talk about your journey as a CLO, especially in the current climate and coming out of COVID-19. Can you share your experience alongside any challenges that you faced in your journey or any lessons that you've learned along the way? Uh, about COVID-19 specifically, I would say that COVID-19 was a huge boost for identity verification. Uh, I think this was the year when we grew uh, the most huge tempos that uh, not not comparable with anything with any other time. So, uh, and this is not only about us. This is about uh, about delivery services uh, and 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 Amazon type of the uh, marketplaces, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, this was a huge, huge leap, uh, huge, um, um, huge leap uh, for many technologies uh, that really happened. And this also made the, um, the governments of many countries um, finally take this step and say that non-face-to-face -face identification is identical to real identification, like to real face-to-face -face, um, uh, interview with the agent of your company. Uh, this was a huge, huge leap. Um, so 
um, um, that's why I say that we are very, very close to the world without passports because, uh, you know, we are very close. We, 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 we couldn't think that we are so close to non-face-to-face -face identity verification anywhere. Uh, but that's, that's the world where we are right now. We are in this brave new world already. Uh, so the impact was, was huge. And what was the, the second part of your question? Sorry. <laughs> well, are there any lessons that you've learned along the way that you would like to pass on to, to the audience? That's a, that's a very good question. But I just, um, I, I think that um, right now, any, uh, let's say, technology-based solutions for even for social innovation, uh, I think right now is a huge priority. Like uh, what we see right now in the world is that the technology actually leads the uh, the innovation in many sectors of our life. And this includes even like our social structures, our, let's say, culture, et cetera, et cetera. So and we see right now online online cinemas, right, um, that you can use more frequently than than the real ones. So I think that uh, if you have any ideas related to how to how to make life of the person better in, with the technologies, I think most of these projects will be successful. So just I mean, if you if you have anything in mind, how to innovate the life, um, that's the time to do it. That's probably my advice. Fair enough. And actually, I kind of have to add in a cheeky question here. You've made some great references to Gulag's Big Brother and Brave New yeah. World. And just one final question from me. Is there any exciting news from some sub that you would like to share with us or anything that we should be on the lookout for? We just released the um, transaction monitoring solution, which is tied up to our, um, our KYC and KYB parts. So uh, if you are a financial company and you are thinking about something that would really make you happy in terms of your KYC and AML procedures and make you sure that uh, this will all work together so that it's not like, like separate solution for KYC, separate solution for KYB, separate solution for transaction monitoring, that then you, you have to employ your someone of some of your technicians to to tie them up somehow so that they would they, they would work. So if you want to have everything in one in one box, then uh, we are the best solution for you just Think about it. Just think about it. And if you are that type of a company, just contact us. All right. That sounds great. And that is all for this episode. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Please keep an eye out for upcoming episodes. All of our previous episodes are available on our website. So please take a look at our catalog for many more insights on fintech and financial innovation. And thanks once again to our guest today, Tony Petrov, Chief Legal Officer at SumSub, and thank you all at home for listening. Join us next time for Coffee with Innovate Finance. Bye for now.